Hello, welcome to episode 15 for my podcast. I've done 14 of these. I can't even believe it. Um, I actually uh, almost did not post this episode for a few reasons, mostly because, uh, well, it's the first episode where I am the interviewer. I've never done this before. All my episodes in the past are somebody else interviewing me, usually. So it's a little awkward. I asked some dumb questions and I was feeling embarrassed. So I was thinking I was not going to post this. But I don't think that would be fair to the guys that I interviewed. They took the time to do this for me. So I feel like out of respect for them that I need to post this. Also, there are some visuals uh, involved with this conversation. We go over a brain scan that they did on me. And I'll tell you a little bit more about the brain scan here quickly before we get into it. But they show the visuals. They share their screen and show the visuals. Um, so if you're listening to this and not watching on YouTube, may have some difficulty um, kind of comprehending what we're talking about. I do do, I do do, <laughs> I do do my best to explain what we're looking at, but, you know, seeing it is always better. Uh, and uh, so if you have the opportunity to watch on YouTube, I might recommend that. So, and then the third thing, I don't know. Um, I don't know if it's interesting or not. It's really interesting to me. Um, but this is something totally different than I've ever done. Um, it's, you know, we talk a lot about the nitty gritty of some neuroscience stuff. Um, so we'll see if it's even interesting to you. Um, check it out. If you're over it, if you start watching and it's boring, definitely let me know that. You're like, hey, dude, this, you know, this isn't the really kind of stuff that I'm into. Um, or if you have some suggestions, I really appreciate that stuff because I'm just brand new here, man. I feel like I'm just barely keeping my head above water. Um, so suggestions uh, really, really help. And then... Um, if you're stoked on it, that's another thing that obviously I want to hear. It's those positive comments that keep me going. Um, if you've followed me for any sort of time, you you have caught on to the fact that um, I do really struggle with motivation. Um, everything I do requires this very thick layer, thick layer of molasses for me to push through, which is saying a lot because I do a lot. And you think about like, oh, wow, he's got this layer of crap that he needs to push through before he does anything. And he does all this stuff. So always remember that. But 
honestly, what keeps me going is positive comments from people, um, um, especially if I've helped you with uh, – if any of my content has helped you with something personal, any type of struggle or anything um, or if you've realized something new or whatever it may be, that is the stuff that keeps me going. Uh, I'll wake up and I'll see a positive comment and I'm like, ah – and it just sets the tone for my entire day. It, and plus, it, it feels good, you know? Um, there's so much negativity, and I do get negative comments more often than you'd think, <laughs> which blows my mind. Uh, you know, I'm just some guy here just <laughs> trying to share my life because I feel like it's a good thing. And people just have negative comments about it. But I am getting positive feedback about my podcast from both of you out there, <laughs> my two followers. I'm just kidding. I have more than two followers. I just say that as a joke. Um, and I do appreciate each and every one of you, um, wherever you're listening from, um, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, wherever you're um, getting this from, I really, really do appreciate you. Um and if you appreciate me, uh, I'd say um, if like if you find value from from my stuff, share it with one person. Think of um, if every one of you shared this with one person and they end up subscribing or following or something, that really helps. Because if you look, I have very, very few followers um, and I've been doing this hard for um, a few years now. So that can be a little discouraging. Uh, I'm going to be putting more effort into trying to grow um, because the more people that see my stuff, the more people we can get outdoors exercising and then therefore feeling better about themselves and then therefore hopefully making a small portion of the world better. That's the goal here, getting people outdoors exercising. Okay, so that's probably enough disclaimer. Um, I say let's get to it. Um, quick introduction. Uh, there is a local, I don't know what to call it, uh, brain scan place just down the street. A friend of mine works for them, contacted me about coming in and doing a brain scan. Now, they don't, uh, this isn't a brain imaging situation they are not doing an MRI or anything like that. They are measuring the electrical brainwave activity, which is super interesting. We do get into that in the podcast. And um, what else should I say about them? Well, uh, it's not anything medical. They're clear about that. This isn't a medical facility. Uh, they are scientists and um, – they have had proven uh, very positive results. Uh, they first started out with uh, working with people with PTSD and traumatic brain injuries and have been able to really help people with that, but have learned that uh, their therapy really helps with just optimization of uh, your brain activity and how it works, which is really, really cool. Um, I thought that my brain scan was going to yield um, 
or show a lot of damage. I've had a lot of concussions over the years. I had an um, extremely high fever from an infection one time that I actually almost died from. And uh, my friends have said I've been different since then. So I thought I was going to see all this damage and it's going to be a very colorful report. And uh, my report came back very different than I thought. Um, so we get into that. So that's super interesting. Um, and if you're interested after listening to this podcast or even right now, the place is called Wave Neuro. They have a office right here in Cardiff, uh, just literally down the street, like just a few blocks from me. Um, and I guess they also have uh, another office up in the Orange County area. I think maybe Newport Beach, if I remember correctly. I'm not sure. Um, I think a brain scan itself, please, I might, I might be wrong on these prices, but a brain scan is like 60 bucks. Um, I feel like that's really, really worth it. The information has really helped me, um, just, you know, understanding how my brain works, uh, has been really helpful for me. So that 60 bucks right there, I feel is really worth it for anybody. If you decide you want to do their therapy, I think I saw it's like 600 bucks. Um, which again, doesn't seem like that much money when you're talking about, um, your brain working correctly. Um, if you want to, um, hear more about it. Um, I, I listened to uh, a Joe Rogan podcast with Shane Dorian, his most recent one. And Shane Dorian did this therapy and swears by it. He says the main thing that he notices is he's not lethargic in the afternoons. He was really struggling in the afternoons, drinking tons of uh, coffee and caffeine. And uh, he said that it really helped him mostly in the afternoons with energy. So I thought that was cool. Um, because I do struggle with that. Turns out from my results that that's not why I'm tired in the afternoons for other reasons. So right there is a positive result of the scan. I realized, oh, it's not my brain that's causing me to be tired. It's other things, maybe like uh, nutrition or um, whatever. It may be uh, maybe a, I think I might have a gluten allergy. Actually, it could be from that you know, or maybe not enough REM. Oh, my computer timed out. I'm actually, uh, whatever. It can be off. <laughs> I'm actually um, editing the video uh, for this right now. In this interview are Dr. Eric Wong and Alex Ring. Alex is, let me get his title correct. I'm going to look at it. Director of Applied Science, Department of Data Science, and Dr. Wong is the founder, owner, president, I'm assuming. Um, both incredibly intelligent guys, and I can't thank them enough for being a part of this. Um, it's an honor. <laughs> it's definitely an honor. I am just a peon, and these guys are big time. <laughs> uh, it's kind of funny. Uh, you know, I've got this uh, small little um, athlete mind and they are these like mega brain scientists. <laughs> so whatever, they're still guys and they're cool guys and we hang out. So thanks again, guys, for 
for being a part of this. And also, please, um, all you listeners and watchers out there, just bear with me on the sound quality. This was a Zoom call. So the sound isn't amazing, but whatever. It is what it is. All right. Um, enjoy the show. So, so there you go. Boom. We start recording. Got the notification. Oh, okay. my goodness. Got it. Um, so, Dr. Juan, do you prefer uh, Dr. Juan or Eric? Do you have a preference? I hear Eric you're a pretty laid back guy. Yeah. Eric? Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Um, I have um, gone on a journey of your story <laughs> the past couple of days <laughs> preparing for this. So um, I feel like I know you really, really well. <laughs> I don't know if I should apologize for that or not, but... Uh... That's cool. Yeah, I'll read about your background as well. Um, I just uh, stand in amazement at uh, your accomplishments and achievements. Um, you have a pretty amazing background. Oh, you looked at my stuff too. Sorry, I was a phone call came through and then my sound muted, uh, so I missed all that. <laughs> oh, I was just saying, I'm I, I'm really in awe of sort of your background as well and, and what you've overcome and. Uh, achieve you, you you have a pretty amazing uh amazing story yourself well thanks man i appreciate that and uh alex um i don't know anything about you or your role with the company what um ashley told me is that you um you're the guy that kind of analyzes uh the the studies in more depth is that correct yeah, that's that's right. I'm uh, the director of uh, applied sciences for for wave neuroscience and uh, department of data science. So if we get an EEG, a brain scan, it comes to wave. Uh, myself and our department will look at it, generate analysis, and and go. Okay. There. So what yeah. I wanted, what I want to do today, if it's okay with you guys, and um, well, one, this is there's no rules. This is we can talk about anything, and we don't even. We're gonna we're gonna talk about wave neuro and what you guys do, but if anything else comes up, let's so be it. Um, the way so what I want to do is uh, I want to Eric I I want to get your personal story and uh, how everything started, and then I want to get into the science of things, um, and then I want to get into my personal. Uh, brain study that I did with you guys and why I was very surprised by it. <laughs> I did yeah. not expect um, what we found out from that. It, and I'm still like digesting that information. So I want to get into that at the end. And that's probably where you'll old chime in Alex sure. and, and give your take on things. Um, and I found out about you guys um, through Ashley. Um, Ashley, she's, there was a couple, you know, I, I live, uh, I live in Cardiff, uh, just down the street from your guys' Cardiff office. I live on the same street, actually. And um, a couple of surfer guys used to live upstairs from me. And Ashley was friends with them. And uh, we got connected through them. And she ended up texting me. Um, a month or so ago saying, Hey, look, you want to come in? We're looking for local athletes to come in. And I didn't really think anything of it. And, uh, I was like, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. I'll come in. Sounds interesting. 
And then uh, I was driving cross country and heard Shane Dorian on Rogan. And um, sounds like a lot of people have heard about you guys um, from that podcast. Um, <laughs> and then I was like, oh, and I texted Ashley and I was like, hey, look, is this the same place that Shane Dorian was talking about? And she's like, yes. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm, I'm so there. So pretty cool how that all came to fruition. And then while I was in there uh, having my scan done, um, some guy came in and was like, hey, I heard of Shane Dorian on Rogan. <laughs> it was pretty funny. It was pretty funny. And just a kind of a small housekeeping note. Um, uh, it's sort of implied, but I just want to make sure, like, if we go over your EEG, um, we wanted your permission. Like, if you broadcast this, it's still kind of, yours actually isn't so sensitive. Everything actually looks really good. Um, but that's you know, what's some, some people are, are a little sensitive about sharing those kind of things. Just want to make sure you're good with all of that. No, yeah, I want the world to know I'm a genius. I want the world to know I'm a genius. <laughs> <laughs> I'm playing. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, well, are you, you guys work with Ashley a lot? She's an athlete herself. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we work pretty closely with her. We're in different offices. We're in Newport beach today and they're in the Cardiff storefront. And um, we've been working with her, I think, for about a year. But uh, but she's she's a pretty amazing individual, and um, yeah, and just gets to know her and her background, and, and her dad. Her dad's a pretty amazing guy too. So exactly, yeah, really cool. She gave me that background too. Really interesting. Um, her dad's motocross, right? And she's yeah. a diver, and she's a diver, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, she does cool. a lot of things. She's a very good surfer. Um, yep. but I, I think that like she she gets pretty extreme with her diving so uh so yeah so cool um well eric if you want to and one just a disclaimer i'm not a scientist um i'm i'm just a, a lowly athlete and uh this podcast is is brand new and small and young and in its infancy stages so i really appreciate you guys um doing this this is also um the first time where i have been the interviewer for my podcast um everything i've done up until now is me either like reading my blogs like kind of story time i do or um someone interviewing me for their podcast or uh, article that they're writing or something and i just re have repurposed that content so thank you for being guinea pigs for me we're, we're, we're <laughs> really excited to yeah to, to speak with you and and go along this journey with you then uh and and then chat about really whatever direction you want to take it yeah cool um so eric do you want to kind of start off by giving a, a little background of of how what wave neuro is and how it started in a little bit of your um your personal journey yeah absolutely uh so so my name is Eric Wan. I'm the President Chief Medical Officer for Wave Neuroscience. Uh, my introduction to the technology came about eight years ago. Um, I was in the distant past, a, a Navy flight surgeon. I deployed with uh, the 11th Marine Expeditionary Unit. We had the unfortunate distinction of having some of the first casualties of the second Gulf War. And as a byproduct of that, I had 150 of my closest friends who were struggling with post-traumatic stress and uh, traumatic brain injuries, kind of the signature injuries of that conflict. Um, when I left the service, 
Uh, I finished up my residency in medical training at the Harvard Hospitals, Mass General, Brigham and Women's, and um, ended up at the Boeing Company as uh, uh, their chief physician. And I took on a secondary role as a chief technology officer, which is how I almost accidentally stumbled upon this technology. Uh, I had a number of friends who ended up at uh, one of the clinics seeking help, and uh, they had fairly significant changes. Uh, to the point where it actually sort of uh, defied my traditional medical beliefs and understanding of what could be changed. You know, I come from a world where we're used to, to incremental changes, maybe a 10-point change in cholesterol level or blood pressure. <clears throat> and these are people who were going from thoughts of self-harm, profound depression, uh, into being really inspired, motivated people again. And, uh, but I couldn't deny the objective truth of these people were, were having these uh, important changes. And so I spent uh, several years doing diligence on the company, meeting scientists like Alex and other doctors who use the technology, and um, ultimately decided to make the jump uh, to move the company and the technology forward. And so it's been now about five years. And uh, a big part of our mission has been first and foremost, wrapping around the technology, academically rigorous and scientifically robust research, um, and also uh, refining the technology in a manner where it was ready for commercialization so that uh, not just doctors and scientists could appreciate the technology, but consumers with no science background uh, could be engaged and understand it and hopefully inspired to improve their lives uh, and, and their brain health. And so that's, that's sort of my background in a nutshell. Awesome. Uh, now, what does a flight surgeon do? Are you performing surgery on flights or are you flown into the field and perform procedures in the field? Yeah, so we're, we're physicians typically embedded within a forward deployed unit. And so, you know, I lived and breathed with uh, a group of pilots, uh, mechanics, air crew, and uh, we deployed together uh, as a combat-ready unit. Um, Marine expeditionary units are designed to be sort of a kick-in-the-door group that can um, they typically support a large ground force. We're supposed to be able to take a beachhead and stand and fight for 30 days while reinforcements came in the back. And so, uh, so you know, I was part of what we call the ACE, the Aviation Combat Element. And so we were um, taking elements of CH-46s, which were medium lift helicopters, uh, Cobras, which are the light attack uh, units, and then CH-53s, which are more of the heavy lift components. And um, my job was to make sure everyone was mission ready and capable. Uh, if somebody was injured, of course, I would take care of them. Uh, but I served as sort of the right hand guy for the commanding officer if uh, there were some type of issue unrelated to, let's, let's say, like if, if somebody's seriously injured, it's easy. But if somebody's child is diagnosed with cancer and their head may not be in the game and we're about to go on a tactical mission, I might have a conversation with that pilot and CEO and just say, you might need to take a knee for this mission and let's bring you back uh, after there's a little more time to process this information. And so in some ways it ended up being sort of a, um, a mishap prevention type of role, 
Um, but it was, I would still say one of the most fun jobs that I've had. Um, we got to do some um, really cool things, see different parts of the world. Um, and, uh, but yeah, if you need to do surgery in flight, you could, but it's not something that was done on a regular basis. Awesome. Did, did you see quite a bit of combat or? Uh, you know, from time to time we did. Um, but most of the real heroic stuff was done by, uh, the Marines. And, you know, sometimes we would transport steel teams, uh, as someone who's supporting the aviation community and the pilots. Um, I never was sort of forward deployed, pulling the trigger or anything like that. Um, you may in your travels end up meeting some of these, uh, SEAL team doctors or, or other types who really were. Uh, kind of doing that kind of work but but that wasn't my role though. now i've heard like i listened to jocko willick's podcast and i don't know if you're familiar with him or not navy seal sure. um he i've heard them talk about how um you know snipers target their medics a lot of times is that something that you experienced were you ever targeted by a sniper I wasn't, but um, but I do know a lot of people that were. And so part of the real honor and privilege of, of my current role is I get to interface and meet a lot of those special operations doctors and foremen. And so just for clarification, the, the physicians play different roles. Corpsmen are uh, uniquely trained um, tacticians within uh, each military branch. And they're actually the most decorated units. Uh, within at least the Navy, I know, but I think within the military. So they don't get formal medical degrees. Um, they, they really get the equivalent of paramedic training. They go out in the field and, and they do actually run with those other operators. And I know within the SEAL teams, they're very coveted, um, unique assets in the sense that they can uh, perform emergency procedures. Typically, they get that training and uh, they're a really unique breed uh, of people. Um, and so, uh, I've met a number of those people. In fact, uh, within the Navy special warfare community, there are, uh, people who start out as medics. Some of them will become doctors or physician assistants, or, um, they, they get more advanced training. Um, but those, those are truly, uh, amazing individuals in the sense that they're, they're multidisciplinary. I think being an operator right. requires a unique skill set um, of kind of understanding terrain, and, and being kind of an elite class uh, warrior uh, and to have that medical background too, that's really unique. Um, so my hat's off to uh, those folks who have served in that capacity. It's pretty amazing. Agreed, agreed. And you um, originally wanted to be a priest. Is that <laughs> correct? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny. So, so yeah, that, that was mentioned on another podcast. I actually didn't know that uh, the interviewer knew that. I think one of my coworkers had sort of uh, shared that nugget. Um, so, so I was a little blindsided. Um, <laughs> Hopefully, I didn't blindside you with that one. Uh, yeah. Are yeah, you so are you religious? I am. I, I still, you know, I, I have faith, um, and uh, you know, I, you know, I, I try to go to church as regularly as I can. I'm not as um, consistent as as I should be. Uh, my wife hammers me on that. Um, but you guys are Catholic? Of, yeah, I'm Catholic. And, and that was just part of how I was raised and grew up. Um, uh, yeah, so I ended up 
choosing not to go down that road now. Um, you might be where I, I'm married. I have five children. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there, there was a time when I seriously considered um, becoming a priest. And um, yeah, it's funny to think back on, on now that, that period of my life. I grew up Catholic uh, too. I went to catechism classes and did all that. Well, I wouldn't say I went to the classes. I was supposed to. I would ditch them and go skate in the parking lot. <laughs> That's real. And you guys, um, you and your family, you live in, in Newport? Uh, we live in Orange County. Um, okay. So my first job coming out of residency was actually at St. Jude Medical Center. Uh, we're part of what's called the Heritage Medical Group. Oh, cool. um, I think they're, they're now Providence. Um, and then after a couple of years of clinical work, that's when I got um, moved over to Boeing and uh, spent about 10 years there. And what were you doing at Boeing? Uh, so at every heavy manufacturing site, uh, we have little emergency, urgent care, emergency room uh, type clinics. And so I started out as really just being a staff physician and uh, loved the work. Um, and in Long Beach, we were building the C-17 at that time. And so Boeing, Boeing has a pretty uh, strong presence in Southern California. In Huntington Beach, they still build satellites. Um, uh, Phantom Works is located uh, in the area. And um, uh, so we have, we have a fairly robust still uh, medical presence uh, in, in those facilities. And now um, you've said in other interviews that, and you alluded to it, that you were really happy and comfortable with this position. And uh, I, I don't know if it's a friend of yours, it sounded like cornered you <laughs> during this time, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I, I actually consider him a very dear friend. Um, he's now part of the company. Um, and uh, he, uh, at the time, you know, at the time, I was just supporting the company from afar, um, and so I was, I was at Boeing, but as an independent third-party physician, uh, could attest to the power of the technology. And uh, this particular seal um, sort of challenged me and um, was saying, you know, what do you stand for? And there's, there's, you know, definitely um, nothing wrong with being a physician in a corporate setting, uh, taking care of executives and um, uh, other workers, but uh, there's a different sort of mission uh, in terms of task and purpose, kind of bringing a technology that could help vulnerable communities uh, struggling with whether it's post-traumatic stress or TBI. Um, that was sort of a bigger calling. And, uh, you know, I think where he was challenging me is, are you going to take this easy road, um, you know, in traditional medicine, or are you going to jump in the trenches and help your brothers and sisters who are struggling with these conditions. And um, at the time, it upset me a little bit because I sort of had this comfortable glide path. Um, but my wife um, actually agreed with it and was saying, this is all you think about, this is all you talk about. And uh, it does sort of tap into uh, all the noble reasons we go into medicine, helping people, uh, and in this case, in a fairly transformative way. And so that, that led to me kind of make this choice of joining the small startup, leaving the comforts of a Fortune 50 company. And uh, no regrets, it's been, a, it's been a wild ride, but um, uh, certainly one that uh, has scratched that itch of a really kind of bigger mission and purpose. 
And here's the pinnacle of your career being on the Jeremy McGee podcast, right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But I, you hey, know, I, think I, I think it's an important um, thing to talk about is somewhere along this journey, um, and I could talk a little bit about how we ended up here. We've moved to, we've moved from, you know, FDA indications into this realm of human performance and mineral optimization. And it kind of started, you know, all these things are seeds at one point, you know, the idea first started resonating when we visited um, Special Operations Command Headquarters, SOCOM. Uh, there was a two-star general who pulled me aside and said, you know, I love what you're doing for the men and women who get injured. Uh, is there a possibility you can make um, operators better on target? And um, we didn't know at that time. And, uh, but we've, we've done some of the data collection and research and uh, we found in some, some important ways that we can help. And that's changed the mission just a little bit. Um, I, I think we can do all of these things because uh, ultimately our goal is to help the brain to function better and more efficiently as an organ. And that's really, you know, Alex's expertise is uh, we've long envisioned, you know, if we can just help the CPU of the body function better and work more efficiently, we can touch many different uh, conditions and disorders. And frankly, the human experience doesn't care what you label it. You know, some people may be diagnosed with depression or dysthymia or anxiety. Um, our approach is actually that we don't really care, you know, what the label is. Uh, in fact, many people are what we call subclinical. Uh, they haven't been diagnosed, and yet they, they may know I'm not at my best. You know, I'm struggling, whether it's from uh, a traumatic brain injury or, you know, the pandemic, being in isolation for two years and struggling uh, with kind of your own, um, maybe not severe depression, but not feeling like your best self. And now that we have this tool, this EEG, where we can see... Um, Yes, you know, you're doing well, but maybe there's this area that we can tune up and you can do a little bit better. Um, I think that's an important part of the conversation. And that's, uh, that's been a bit of a change for us as an organization and a company. I really like that. Um, I always talk about, um, you know, psychologically, you know, what's happening, you know, uh, for me, like, for example, you know, I'm have mommy daddy issues or whatever. Um, and instead of like diving into, you know, what those are and how they happened, that information helps. Yes. But how can I just like, instead of labeling it, you know, how can I just like increase my quality of life? You know, knowing that I do this no matter where it came from, you know, I, so I really like, um, and I heard you uh, talk about that on Nick Hardwick's uh, uh, podcast. Uh, I'm a big fan of his too. Um, and I, when you said that, I was like, I, I really like that about your guys' approach, the, the not labeling and just, you know, figuring it out, increasing people's quality of life w without the labels. I think that's really cool. Yeah, there's this whole new uh, scene of wellness, health, and uh, wearables, and just additional insight yep. and just, just how, how your heart's beating, how deep your <laughs> sleep is exactly. There are yeah. watches, there are rings, there are harnesses you wear them throughout your day your, your phone tracks health and wellness and, and how much you're engaging with it and gives you feedback 
And really that technology and, and that movement seems to have started about seven years ago, six or seven years ago, um, where different branches of medicine even are now starting to look at the spectrum of wellness. You know, uh, psychiatry, for instance, has always studied these very heavy conditions. Look at schizophrenia or bipolar disorder or major depression. And now there's a whole realm of positive psychiatry. They're looking at the well people and considering it its own spectrum to ensure you can kind of buffer against on the resilience side, potentially slipping down into that unhealthy state. And that's where I feel like there's been a lot of excitement. There's more of a refocusing of that now with our pandemic. However, uh, the more tools you can bring and the more insight you can give to the individual who's empowered by technology, uh, the more capable and more well-equipped they might be to navigate their own lives with that continual feedback cycle. And, and, for and us, imagine, really imagine what we're going to know in 10, 20 years with all this big data now, with all the wearables and all this the data that is constantly being collected. And imagine what we're going to know and learn and, you know, and with your guys' technology too, in 20 years, what the big data from that, what we're going to know, it's, it's fascinating. And then on that note, um, I did hear that you guys are working, are you working on like what would be called maybe call can I call it a home kit, you know, so that um, people can um, harness this technology at home. Is that true? Yeah. Did I hear, yeah. understand that correctly? Yeah, it was, it was initially developed kind of for an FDA pathway type of approach. And we realized, uh, you know, all technologies get better, smaller, faster. Um, you look at the mainframe from 20 years ago, now fitting into, you know, the palm of your hand as, as a cell phone. Uh, we realized that was the movement that this technology was going to go towards anyways. And so we've developed a unit that is, a fraction of the energy of the FDA device, um, sufficiently safe and sufficiently low energy that people could do it without um, doctor oversight. And with the goal of, you know, if our true mission and purpose is to um, provide access to this to everyone, to democratize brain health and brain care, um, this was an important part uh, of solving that puzzle. And so, um, so we have a test unit that's out. You can see it in that Cardiff location. And uh, the response from the market was so strong that we invested in creating a commercial unit that uh, right. we're hoping yeah. to deploy hopefully in the next couple of quarters. Um, so, so yeah, you've wow. done your research. Yeah. That's really exciting, man. That is, that's really exciting. <laughs> um, to hear the stories of, of how this technology has, has benefited people, Shane Doring being one of them, how, you know, how his, his daily routine, his everyday experience is, is completely changed, you know, uh, from this. And he swears by it. And you hear all these positive stories out there. And then just to make it more easily and readily available to people is, is really, really exciting. Um, let's, uh, so my listeners are probably like, okay, what is wave neuro and what is this technology what are you doing to people's brains <laughs> um you want you guys want to take that one and just maybe in kind of um just kind of a um a dummies uh explanation of what what you guys are doing and, and the science behind it yeah i can i can give you like a quick three minute snapshot and then 
I'll let Alex with your with your permission and agreement, we can kind of go over your EEG and that'll that'll I think illuminate okay, cool. for the audience uh, kind of how we're looking at at brain function and brain health. Um, but we're really sort of a three-step process. Uh, the first step is to get what's called it's called a quantitative EEG or electroencephalogram. And much in the same way in EKG of your heart, an electrocardiogram is an electrophysiologic picture. We can also get these electrophysiologic pictures of the brain. And that's really our first step is to uh, get, get the guidance and, and the mapping uh, of the brain. It's about a five to 10 minute study, uh, very simple and easy to get. And the second step is taking that data and running it through neurocomputational analytics which is really Alex's expertise. And so we're looking for a few different metrics. One is uh, an individual's dominant wavelength, or what we call the alpha frequency, which is how quickly we encode information, generally between 8 and 13 hertz, which means we encode information 8 to 13 times per second. And so you, Jeremy, might be a 12.2 hertz brain. Uh, I might be an 8.5 hertz brain, and Alex may be an 11.3 hertz brain. It doesn't matter. It's just kind of where we live but we're looking for disruptions in that activity. And so if we see a cluster of neurons that may be firing, let's say at three hertz, and that those misbehaving neurons are in the prefrontal cortex, because that area is responsible for executive function, it may manifest as depression symptoms. Someone may feel lethargic, not wanting to get out of bed and lack motivation, uh, but in a different scenario, let's say the right occipital parietal lobe where the visual cortex resides is pinging away at 30 hertz. If the rest of your brain only processes 12 hertz, there's an information overload because the intake, you know, your visual system may be scanning your environment 30 times per second, but you can only process it 10 to 12 times per second, you know, that may manifest as anxiety. And so these images tell us a lot about how somebody's experiencing their world. And importantly, they inform and instruct us about how we might um, treat those areas and to bring them back into synchrony with the dominant wavelength where you were designed, where mother nature kind of designed you to live. And so we'll take this FDA grade tool, you know, the, the transparent magnetic stimulation device, or in some cases now the smallest device, and we give those areas of the brain, those neurons, a friendly reminder that they want to be firing at, in your case, 12.2 Hertz, this hypothetical frequency or an Alice case, customizing it to his wavelength. And when we do that on a daily basis, uh, the brain starts to reorganize and move into a more efficient uh, state of being. And that, that's really our goal is to provide precision guidance and targeted treatments to neurons uh, that for whatever reason are misfiring just a little bit. And there's lots of things that can cause brains to misfire, whether it's chronic sleep deprivation, um, it can be a traumatic brain injury. It can be too much drinking, and um, and as we talked about earlier, too much. <laughs> you know, the, you know, our, our our brain frequently doesn't care. You know what the injury is. Um, we sometimes um, you know misuse our bodies. I'm as guilty as anyone. I stay up late. Um, you know, I, I don't always get good sleep because I'm cranking away emails, or I might be doing a a binge uh, of a Netflix series, and so. Um, this is a mechanism with which we can move neurons in the right direction. Um, what was your latest Netflix binge? 
<laughs> I just watched the Ozarks over the weekend. Like, oh, like, good one. Or, yeah. Good one. Dark. Very dark. Halfway through the latest All right. Very dark, very dark, though. It is dark. Yeah. It is it's darker than the typical thing that I watch. But, um, but yeah, if it's if it's uh, helpful, we can have Alice kind of run through yeah. the EEG process and sure. sort of a, a deeper dive into into what we do. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, with your permission, I'd like to share my screen. I'll bring up your brain waves. We can walk through them and talk about it, and kind of you know through experience uh, have a better understanding of this description of evaluation of brain waves, understanding what that might. They might mean contextually and in context of the uh, other side of the house, what we call neuromodulation, the, the therapeutics, how that might intervene with or shift function in a way that might help improve things like these domains of focus, attention, sleep quality, et cetera. Okay, so before you do that, I just want to give a little background um, yeah. that I have lived with reckless abandon. My, I didn't think I'd live to see 40 and lived accordingly. Now, now, I'm not talking about like partying and that kind of stuff. I'm talking about um, how I've treated my body um, in the sports world. Um, just hucking myself off cliffs, not really thinking if I'm going to land or not. Um, and I've had hundreds, hundreds of concussions. Um, I haven't been knocked out. Um, too many times, definitely um, a dozen times or so I've been literally knocked out. Um, and I can't tell you how many times I've seen stars, you know, sure. and so what I expected from this scan um, was, you know, a, a very colorful report, you know, showing just years of damage. I also had a um, an infection uh, like over maybe uh, 12 years or so ago that gave me really high fever. Actually, I had a fever of 107 um, wow. and ba I barely survived from that. And um, I thought that that was going to show clear signs of damage. And I was very, very, very surprised by what um, Ned shared with me for my scan. So with that background, if you wanted to show the world my brain. <laughs> sure. And, and there's something certainly to be said about resilience and you know, different brains being set up in different ways when it comes to resilience to injury, resilience to stress. And, and that's another thing that we'll, we'll kind of touch on as we go through this discussion. So I'll go ahead and share my screen right now. There we go. Okay. Boom. Oh wow. This is totally different than what um than what I've looked at. I looked looked at like your summary sheet. This is much oh, yeah. more intense. We're gonna show you uh from, from the bottom up just, just where all of this is coming from. I think it's important to uh, at least be able to show you, you know, here's your heartbeat at the bottom and the rest of these horizontal lines, these are brain beats. These are uh coming off of the electrode cap that was placed on your head and the 10 minutes of data that was taken uh, is everything here. So, so uh, for you folks that are um, listening to this podcast and not watching the video on YouTube, um, what Alex is showing, I mean, to me just looks like, yeah, like a, a heart rate monitor um, reading is, you know, what it looks like to me, a bunch of, you know, squiggly lines. Um, 
and there's quite a few of them and they're all my brain waves um with my uh, uh heartbeat uh, uh across across the bottom of the screen really interesting yeah that, that's right I'll, I'll describe it at the bottom of our, our screen we have a an electrode that was placed on your chest and that uh, measures how your heart is beating over time. So we're looking at a rhythm where there's a beat about once per second. Uh, most viewers are probably will have uh, you know seen these television uh, dramas with uh, on the medical side of the house where they show the heartbeat, uh, or if they've seen their own EKG or heartbeat. So um, it's a reliable beat. It occurs uh, you know once per second. And in addition to that beat that we have on the screen, we also have other horizontal lines. We have 19 of them. So the screen full of very fast frequency beats in comparison to the heartbeat. We're, we're seeing tiny little waves here that are beating about 10 to 12 times per second. So we're seeing uh, quite a bit of them and uh, we have 10 minutes of this recording. So we're and are these Are these uh, electrical pulses? Well, so this is measuring the, um, the activity in, in the cortical layers of your brain, the first couple of layers, uh, primarily from neurons that live in what's called layer five, they're called Bramble neurons. But uh, you're basically measuring uh, the amount of charge over time and just tracing it. And what we know is when this charge gets sufficiently high, brain cells start firing. When the charge is sufficiently low, they're not. So in essence, what we're looking at uh, is when brain cells are, are talkative and when they're quiet, similar to how your heart is beating, you can think of it as talking when it's in its in-between beat state, it's, it's not so talkative. Same is going for what we're looking at as far as what's happening uh, in the cortical layers, the crust of your brain. And that's really what we're visualizing here over the course of the 10 minutes of the each that was taken for you. Now, so we take this data and we transform it and put it into a more readable fashion. Uh, you know, EG and analysis of this takes years to get to a point where you can just look at this and uh, understand and have a better insight into what you're looking at. So we take this, we transform it in a way that makes it a bit more digestible. So what I'll do is I'll go ahead and walk through um, you know, what we're doing there, and then we'll share your brain care report, what you went over uh, when you went through the process in uh, the storefront down in Cardiff, and, and then uh, we'll, we'll just have a little more conversation with that if that's all right. So yeah, great. We, we tend to, we call uh, the review of this EG data the brain care review, and we're not providing any diagnosis with this. There's no uh, prescription medication or anything that comes as a consequence of this. EGs, they are uh, typically used to look for seizures or uh, to see how deep someone is in sleep. Uh, so we're taking an eyes closed awake, very short EG in comparison to those where, you know, it might be a 24 or 48 hour monitor where they'll paste electrodes and, and glue them on your, your head so you sleep with them and walk around with them. Uh, this is a much shorter, more compact version of that so we can get uh, a quick reference and inference to how your brain, once again, is, is talking uh, over the course of that, that period you're sitting there on the chair. Got it. And what we're moving over to, new slide here, is a description of the different kinds of brain waves that we might have in a 24-hour cycle. You were instructed to sit there with your eyes closed. When we blink or close our eyes, we're in a more reflective, reflective state. We're, we're quiet, so to speak, when it comes to brain activity. Uh, but there are different 
speeds of brainwave activity that might occur when our eyes are open. When we're active, we have something called beta activity. And um, we're seeing here snippets of one second of EEG and this beta rhythm, it's fast, it's chaotic. There are between 13 to 30, if not more, brainwaves per second. They jump around quite a bit and they're associated with a working brain state. Every time you blink or close your eyes, that rhythm calms down a bit. And what we end up observing and measuring is something called the alpha rhythm. Uh, generally thought of as where your brain is, once again, when it's sort of quiet, it's referred to for some from an idling rhythm. It's our brain is kind of um, consolidating the information that we've been given. I like to call it our brain clock. And that's what we're measuring for you. We're trying to measure the health uh, and presence of this rhythm and any disruptions or interference in, in how this rhythm is, is performing. Uh, a little bit slower than that, if we're to take someone's EEG when they're in stage one sleep, falling asleep, or even in deep sleep, brainwaves are slow. So near the top, we have delta and theta. And I think it's fairly intuitive. When we're asleep, our brain's working a bit slower than when we're awake. And when we're awake, our brain's working a bit faster than when we're asleep. And, and we see that measuring, uh, we're able to measure that on the brainwave side of the house. And, and that's what all, we're also looking for. That is, if someone's sitting there with their eyes closed and they have a lot of this sleepy brainwave activity, we might expect that that might interfere with how they're focusing. And, and that's some of the uh, things that we like to explore on our analysis side of the house and our reports. Does that make sense so far? Absolutely. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's been, ex ex I understand it because I've been, I've been studying um, up on you guys and on the technology and it, it's been explained to me. Um, but for the listeners out there, um, is there like a ultra basic way to explain the, the different brain waves? Yeah, I, we could think of, uh, there's some sleepy brain waves. When we're asleep, our brain activity, our neurons, they, they're a lot more quiet and they have to recharge their energy. So when we're in deep sleep, we don't need to use our, our, brain, our brain for a lot of higher order function. So it's all right for it to rest and shut down. And it recovers a good amount of fuel that uh, you've burned up throughout the day and gets you ready for the next day. Um, when you're awake and at work, we have uh, awake and working, your, your brain is working a bit harder. And we have faster activity. And that's something we call beta. And the activity that we're studying, uh, it comes out whenever we're uh, more in a restful state when our brain is recovering, getting ready to work, but not necessarily working. And that occurs every time you blink. So we ask people who take these EEGs to kind of sit there for 10 minutes, keep their eyes closed. And we're essentially getting a 10-minute blink so we can measure and understand that recovery state, what you can think of it as, in a way. And if we're recovering very efficiently, if this brain clock rhythm, this alpha rhythm is nice and healthy, then when it comes for it comes to using different parts of our brain for focus or attention, it might be a little easier to do that. That makes sense. Good. So sorry, to, sorry to make you explain that twice. <laughs> no, I'm happy to. It's, I think it's important, and uh, I'm happy to you know uh, delve into the fine details or or keep it nice and uh, more straightforward. So we'll, we'll stay on that end. Um, Are the beta, alpha, theta, delta? Uh, frequencies are those the only frequencies that the no there are brain other brain frequencies that uh, are are generated in our cortical layers. Um, if if you are learning a task 
uh, something new. You know, some will say it takes a thousand uh, times. We have to, you know, go through this task a thousand times before we learn it. As you learn it, it becomes easier and easier, and you're building uh, basically a neural pathway. The, the way I like to think of it is it's like you're clearing away brush if you're walking through a jungle and you're hacking away, and eventually you have a clear path that you can walk down. And as you're learning, different layers of, of your brain and different areas are communicating with one another. And the layers of brain tissue, they communicate at a faster frequency, something we call gamma. And that's up 40 plus brain waves per second. And you have little bursts as we're learning where they can kind of talk to one another and talk about what's being learned in a, in a way. Um, and there's another um, faster frequency uh, activity in our cerebellum and the tiny brain in the back of our, our head uh, near our brainstem behind our brainstem, where uh, we have something called omega activity, and that's 150 plus brain waves oh, per second. It's a lot faster, and it has to do with smooth movement, coordination, uh, and uh, cortical tissue is a lot denser and kind of supports that. Uh, and that's those fascinating. Are, <laughs> that are outside of what we have here. Yeah. That is absolutely fascinating. Um, and I'm, I'm assuming that um, different people are capable of different amounts or frequencies of gamma and omega. Is, is that true? Yeah. You know, that's what we've, what we've observed over these years with the ages that we've, we've taken and seen is um, we, we know that genetics has a large part to play in, um, you know, a lot of how we're growing up. There's nature and there's nurture, and both uh, are important when it comes to our development, when it comes to our capabilities. But we, we have different people's, uh, different people have different personalities, and that lasts with them. They, they like to see information in, in different ways. And when it comes to the brainwaves that we're looking at and how they present um, for the people that we've taken EEGs on, there seem to be different um, brain types similar to how there might be different personality types, where some people might be set up right. to generate more of this alpha rhythm, and others might be set up to generate more of the beta rhythm, uh, just in general. And, and that has uh, quite a bit to do as a consequence with, with how they might like to see information, handle it, or interact with the world around them, um, depending on how their brain's showing them the world around. Yeah, I feel it's such useful information, you know? Um, like having a scan done just in and of itself, even separate from the therapy, um, is so, to me, just seems so useful to, to understand your biology and how your brain works. Yeah, I, I believe there's, there's, you can think of it as two layers. The first layer, of course, being, you know, who am I? And what, what's my normal range? Um, when you're going to, you know, get other healthcare-related measurements, you, it's important that you know what's healthy for you or how your, your physiology might be set up uh, in terms of, mm -hmm. let's say, rest and heart rate uh, or uh, cholesterol levels and whatnot. But it's also important to know, well, if I know my normal range, how, what's interfering with me really being within that normal range or what might be putting me away from being in that yeah. range. And both of those concepts, both of those layers are what we try to explore and, and uncover and, and help people uh, better understand when they're coming through to take a look at their own brainwave activity. Yeah, a lot of the information that Ned gave me from my scan, I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense that that's how I am in that way. You know, and it's, it's, it, it was, you know, validating, but also um, it was just really cool to, to understand, you know, why I do certain things. So it's super right. interesting. Yeah. So 
we'll go ahead and go over from, hey, this is what the brain waves are. And right, we were talking about alpha. We had you sit there with your eyes closed, um, sitting there. And what we can do is we can move it from uh, brain waves into something that's a little bit easier to digest, a little bit easier to read and understand and see. So we go ahead and count the number of peaks per second that uh, are occurring, and we can draw a graph where if your alpha activity, if we see 10 of these in a second, we'll see a peak at 10. And if you know there are eight per second a peak at eight or 12 per second a peak at 12, and, and we can see for each region of the brain, every area we're measuring this, how fast everyone is talking. And the speed of this rhythm has to do with the speed at which we're putting information together. So the eight hertz brain, the brain that's eight, updating itself eight times per second, might be putting information together a few times fewer per second than the 12 hertz brain. And, and it's an interesting insight. It's something where we know when we're younger, we're a bit faster. And as we age, we kind of slow down. And I just want to show um, this is uh, that uh, graphic uh, and that understanding. This is 450 people. So now I'm showing a graphic of uh, a couple of uh, peaks on a, on a graph. And on the bottom axis from left to right is slow to fast. And the peak tells us how fast someone's brain activity is. And for this group of 450 people, um, there are people as young as 11 to 20, as old as 51 to 70, and then the age ranges between. And the younger brains have a faster resting frequency. Okay, uh, I see. You can see the resting frequency here might be between 10 and 11, and the older brains might be a little bit further off to the left, a little slower, closer to nine. And, and that is another thing that we're sort of picking up and measuring. We want to know, you know, do we have um, faster frequency activities has to do with working memory uh, or slower? In this study, the 70-year-olds who had the faster brain waves did better on a working memory test than the 20-year-olds with a slower brain wave activity. So just very interesting to start being able to take this from that you know, brain wave state over to let's, let's figure out how this relates to your function. Oh, I love data. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> this is so cool. That yeah, so is, uh. We take this and then we put in a report format. And uh, I'm going to show another slide or two, and then we'll go to your uh, scan. But this is uh, an example of someone who um, we have posterior, central, and frontal parts of the brain graphed. And this comes from their EEG. And there's a peak on this graph in posterior, central, and frontal. And this peak in the back is at about 11. It's about 11 at the front and 11 on the back. And I like to think of this as a radio frequency. That is, if I want to tune, um, I guess around San Diego, we have a uh, you know, uh, radio station, say 91.1. Well, if I tune to 91.3, I'm going to get a different radio station. So similarly in, in, in our brain, if the back is firing and working about 11 times per second, the front is working about eight, or even at 10 or a little slower, you might get a different radio station. The communication might not be as ideal as it should be. And uh, just for the folks that are listening, um, Alex is uh, showing three graphs. Um, one is showing the frontal, the activity from the frontal lobe, the, the middle, the next one showing the, the central part of the brain and then the posterior lobe. Am I, saying, am I using the correct words? Yeah, you're right. And, and this and, example, front, middle, and back are all lining up with the resting, this resting rhythm being the same speed. Um, the peaks for these peaks, the, the peak of the peaks are all at the same speed, about 11. 
So is this, now the posterior looks like it's, you know, peaking up a little bit higher, but are you saying that this is like a, a, a good brain? Yeah, this is in a good okay. place. Um, and it, okay. the posterior usually peaks up a little higher because this alpha rhythm, this brain clock rhythm, it's usually made in the back and it moves from back to front. Kind of like, uh, I like to think of Wi-Fi bouncing around rooms. You know, there's always a source and as you get further away, it gets a little weaker. And similarly, there's more in the back and usually a little less in the front. Okay. So for everyone listening, each graph looks almost exactly the same. And so that's the goal is to get each part of the brain with, on the same frequency and get this peak to to be as close as possible on in okay. from each part yeah that, that would be a, a fairly good state um off to the left to the slope we can see slower brainwave activity and that's the left on this graph there's no peaks out there but if somebody um you know is, is suffering in, in a point where they have reliable interruptions in focus uh from a recent you know major injury we might see peaks uh, further off to the left or miss a lot. And, and just to right. kind of highlight that when we're uh, talking through, now I come to a new slide where we're looking at a uh, case of uh, brain injury uh, in the center of this this slide. And um, this, oh, wow. is a, this is a 20-year-old student athlete who uh, sustained a frontal lobe um, injury. She got in a traffic accident. Her head went through the windshield and she came um, presenting with light sensitivity, word finding issues, she was sleeping throughout the day or feeling very, very drowsy, and you know, was obviously impacted compared to what was her normal day to day. And what this graphic's showing us is that the back of her head has a peak at about 10, which is very small in frontal and central. And instead for frontal and central regions, the areas where we have working memory and attention, there's a very tall peak uh, in a slower range that is, her frontal lobe has a lot more slow wave brain activity that usually occurs during sleep states, theta, and, and that's the biggest rhythm. So she's walking around with uh, a brain where her frontal lobe is, is a little sleepy, and that's going to make it more difficult for her to reliably concentrate or resolve information uh, as she should. Very interesting. So the uh, listeners, uh, th these three graphs, the same readout as we were just looking at a you know really good looking brain. These peaks um, are all a little different from each other. Uh, they are so, so you can know what we're looking at here. Yeah, there are slower okay. peaks, but uh, pretty profoundly slow uh, in the brainwave space. Not not a little mismatch, but um, they're in the range that are much slower. And we went ahead and ran this this person through uh, neuromodulation through the the brain simulation. Um, intervention. And this was more on the clinical FDA heavier device that uh, Eric had mentioned earlier. And in the span of two weeks, we have now two graphs on this page. The graph on the left is the pre, the one we just discussed, but the post now we're finding that activity that was uh, reduced. This, the, the blue trace here is the post. Uh, the activity uh, at 10 that was smaller is now grown, and the activity at about uh, six or seven that is that sleepy brainwave activity has, has dropped. And uh, corresponding with that, along with that, um, her ability to focus came back, her, her light sensitivity dropped away, and she went back to, to school. Um, that had told, the school had told her, you know, you should probably be on a six-month concussion protocol and wait it out before you feel better. 
Um, but she was able to return back to school after a couple of weeks. And that's amazing. Um, so listeners, uh, what we're looking at now is um, the two graphs put together uh, of this person, uh, uh, pre-therapy and after, and it looks like it looked pretty much picture perfect after the therapy. You got the wavelengths lined up. Yeah, so her radio frequencies, let's say before, she had two stations she was trying to listen to at the same time, and now we've, we've cleared up the slower one, and it's just one. That's awesome. That's really cool. So with that, uh, what we what we'll do is we'll bring up your brain care report, and, and okay, what it is off from there, and just go ahead and bring that up. So we we developed and, and we generate a one page report when it comes to analyzing brainwave activity. Uh, the kind of quantitative analysis that's done from EEG can produce a 40-page report or a 30-page report. And, um, you know, we're, we're trying to make it so it's a bit more digestible so that, yeah. uh, you know, anyone can walk off the street and in Cardiff and go get their, their scan and, and take a look at what's happening and uh, have a better way of uh, kind of immediately understanding what it is they're seeing, although all that other analysis is, is also sort of in the back end of this. And, uh, it's available, but once again, we're, we're trying to make this both easier to, to digest. So since we've just looked at um, the brain waves, we'll kind of look at that again, and we'll cover the rest of the report. Um, looking at your brainwave activity here, Jeremy, you can see there's a peak here in the back. There's there's a peak for, for Jeremy's EG at about uh, 11 to 12, and that's actually quite impressive, but usually... You know, we see activity around 10, 9 and a half, 10 and a half. So we have this uh, back of brain rhythm at about 12 here. And in the front, we see a similar looking graph uh, where there's also a peak at about 12. But there's also some activity off to the left uh, between this 10 to 11 range. So you kind of have a little shoulder in your peak. That's a little yes. slower than that. And, and that's something we'll talk a little bit about uh, as well. But uh, you actually have a, a very healthy amount of this brain clock rhythm. I think that's where you said earlier, you know, you're surprised with what you're seeing given the context of um, how recklessly you, you uh, treat your body. Yeah. See what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. And, and there's a little something I wanted to bring up with that. It's that um, I said before, most people make this brain activity only in the back of their brains and it moves forward. Um, there are some who also make it a little more strongly in the front and they're set up to be resilient in a way against some of these injuries and that's one of the things we detected for you so that's that's sort of something we, we talked can earlier you, about brain types can you ex explain what that means um ned kind of explained it to me a little bit it, like both the front and the back are uh ah, you you explain it I, I don't think i can explain yeah, it yeah remember i, I had this uh wi-fi analogy earlier you know you have your router that's giving you a wi-fi signal you go to the other room the signal might not be as weak but you can think of there being another wi-fi point in another room a, a signal repeater and we see that for a small percent of the population i'd say five to ten percent where they also make this brain activity another area uh, more strongly than most people and uh, that other area is in the front and, and that's what uh, we have detected for your eeg and when we and see why that, you know, go ahead why does that create resiliency? 
Well, your frontal lobe is where we have things like working memory, attention, reliable focus, cognition, and it, it puts together all the sensory information that the rest of our brain is taking in. And uh, think of it as showing it to you as a picture, uh, a window to, to the rest of that. And uh, it's the most resource greedy part of our brain. It's the highest order function. If we have injury of any kind when it comes to, say, you know, head injury, trauma, drug use, abuse, et cetera, it's the first thing that we'll generally see change or slow down uh, as a consequence. However, if we have the signal repeater in the front of our brain, if we have, it, it builds a bit more resilience. Um, there are some people, for example, who maybe require a little bit more medication than others, or, or some people might be less, require less medication than others. And um, that kind of quality, uh, we, we believe, may be tied to what we're seeing in terms of the generation of this brain clock rhythm and, and how easy or hard it might be to move how brain cells are talking. That is, if we have this made in the front, it might be a little more difficult to slow them down because they're already making a nice amount of this instead of being in a place where you know, they're not making it. So it's kind of like if you've got you know the mesh network, we'll go back to the Wi-Fi um, yeah. metaphor that you use. So you have a mesh network, you're, you're you know, say like I'm set up in the garage over here and yeah. the, the router is over in the apartment next door, but we've got a mesh network. So because we've got, got that, you know, that um, satellite to create the mesh, I have a strong Wi-Fi signal here. Is that what That's you're right. saying and, essentially? Yeah, and, and let's say there are other networks that are trying, that are on the same channel. Well, they might interfere with your signal quality, but if you're able to get closer to the source or set up another Wi-Fi point, you'll be able to overcome that. And we can and the, think of other networks. I'm sorry. Yeah, we can think of those other networks as maybe interfering with our, our function. And this is rare? We, we see it... Uh, it's a normal variant is what we call it. So it's, it's not rare, it's a little uncommon, but it's, it's part of the normal population. Okay, super interesting, man. Yeah, so when, when I hear, oh, you, you've been through so many traumatic, uh, you know, head injuries and whatnot, that'll knock us and kind of slow down this activity and maybe contributing to some of this activity, but we're not seeing any peak in this sleepy brainwave range uh, like we would for someone for whom following the head injury, they can't recover cognitively. They, their focus isn't coming back. They're not able to uh, reset. That's where we're talking about there being more sort of lasting interference. Got you. Got you. Okay, that makes sense. So jumping oh, back here, uh, we've put together something we call a brainwave synchrony score near the top of this report. And that talks to how stable someone's uh, brain clock rhythm is. And you can see it's on a 50 to 100% scale. Um, usually if we're looking at someone whose number is over 75%, that's, that's fairly good. Uh, um, that, that means that front and back are talking in, in a pretty stable way. But if we were to look at the um, brain we saw before with a major head injury that wasn't recovery, that might be down near 60% or 65%. And that's just a measurement we use to have a better understanding of where someone is and if they go through neuromodulation, you can see it again and kind of track that over time. We have also an optimal range. Remember, we're talking about how fast brain activity is working, and we all sort of have this intrinsic optimal fastest range that we like to live at. Um, Eric's might be that 
9 to 10. Mine might be the 10 to 11. And yours here, we're saying is that 11 and a half to 12 and a half. So you can see that is on the higher end of this range. If we were on the slower end, that's where we might expect there to be more um, significant problems in cognition, memory, and whatnot. But this corresponds to that peak that we saw back here. Okay, that's us saying, all right, we, we know that you'd like to be over here. That's this red line that's drawn. We also have a calculation of current frequency, which tells us about, uh, well, if your optimal range is one range, 11 and a half to 12 and a half for you, uh, what's your current processing speed? What's the slowest step, so to speak? And usually we like this line to be in uh, this optimal range range. You can see for yours, it's a little bit to the left of that. Is that bad? It would be, we would say something is more concerning if it were in this yellow range or if we were one or two or three okay. hertz off. So if we're further down, yeah, it might more significantly be impacting, um, let's say, reliable brain communication. So there, you're a little off in, in a way that might make it so you have to you know, double check things, you might second guess what's, what's happening. Um, some of the strengths of the frontal generators is an ability to kind of uh, see the details, like to stay in the nitty gritty, so to speak, and work from the bottom up, very passionate about um, something that they're interested in. And it can be uh, difficult for them to move away from that passion and be very rigid uh, from that perspective, just staying on top of really dedicating 100% just to that one thing. Um, and uh, they like to stay on that single topic, usually. There's sort of a rigidity of thought. That's very true about me. It's it's hard for me to switch gears once yeah. I'm like focused on something. That is absolutely true. Right, and that goes hand in hand with that frontal lobe, that having more alpha and being able to tap into that focus uh, a little bit more easily. Um, but as a consequence, that you're switching, it can have impacts in other areas of your life where um, you know if we're so capable of focusing, turning that off, or if we're thinking about negative thoughts or ruminating, that can be more difficult. So whenever we see frontal generators, we, we talk about potential for rumination, just watch out for depressive thoughts and make sure you're getting out, so to speak, and getting away from those thoughts if that's something that's hooking you. Oh, yeah. I tend to um, have conversations <laughs> uh, yeah. with uh, people that are not in the room <laughs> um, a lot. Is that part of that? Well, it's certainly good to, to practice conversations where we need to interact with them, but uh, but yeah, it's it's about uh, being unable to kind of step away from mistakes or uh, even just uh, reanalyzing events that had occurred and just walking through it. Colonel uh, Merrick, you just have to watch out for um, you know, ruminating, perseverating, and just not being able to step past those things. Yeah, if I make a mistake, I definitely ruminate on it. That that yeah. that is certainly true. Yeah. We have an interference score here. If someone had a lot of theta activity, the score would be quite high. Usually a range of five to eight, five to eight is, is uh, something we're comfortable with. It's on the lower end. But that injury, major injury case we saw earlier might have had an interference score closer to uh, 15 or 16. And then the last portion of the report are these statements that are printed out based off of the EEG that uh, we gathered. And just as I just noted, you know, for your brain type and what we're seeing that attention switching is something that, um, you know, we call out and this is just automatically made based off of what we're seeing in your EEG, overcoming mistakes. You know, you said it, but there it is in black and white, rigidity, yep. flexibility, 
Um, just to add to this, when we start to see that there's a little bit of the shoulder that's building up, that's where uh, there might be a little interruption in that reliable focus that sort of comes to you naturally. And, and you might find that uh, we call it sometimes spontaneous anxiety or anxiety under pressure or in an ideal state, you shouldn't be feeling that. And when it comes to the neuromodulation or the intervention, um, our goal would essentially be to try to shift this closer to this ideal frequency state for you, make it so some of that double checking, second guessing and feeling a little sluggish um, can be switched away from and, and help you on sort of better Christmas to focus so that everyone is talking the same language. So this basically says I'm a genius, right? This says that you're <laughs> starting kidding. off really fast. Yeah, most people are around nine and a half or so to, to 10 and a half. Uh, and you're both in a way where you have much faster frequency. You know, something to be said about, um, you know, more higher to fall, you know, further to fall, so to speak. Uh, that's one of the ways you can think of it. Um, Fair so enough. It, we see this in our athletes quite often where um, they can, the baseball players we, we talk with, they say they can see the seams on the ball and you look at their brains and they're nice and fast, kind of sets you up for the high performance, high reaction um, side of the house, fast frequency. Um, sometimes two could be drill seekers. <laughs> yep, definitely that, definitely that. Um, is this um, advantageous for arguing and debating? The, the way you're, well, I, I would admit, I'm not, a, I don't have a great background in argument or debate, but, you know, some people <laughs> like to uh, take in multiple threads and uh, throw them, um, brain types like this like to get in deep on the details and uh, can get caught up on the details as well. That's true. Uh, one of the cool things for you to know is, you know, if you have made your mind up, it might be hard for you to change it. And uh, being flexible there would probably help on the argumentation side of the house. But but certainly the, these are, uh, you know, brains that are great at looking at those details. Details are important when it comes to arguing and, and discussion. Or like thinking of a, a response quickly. Would that yeah, be part? You could say yeah. that that faster speed may be helpful there. Very interesting. I'm just looking for fuel for future relationships. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm totally kidding. So this is what we uh, we run on. Everybody's walking through the doors. We have other report versions as well that are a little more complicated that uh, the clinicians who are doing the FDA grade uh, sort of uh, treatment are being delivered. So this is not the only report output. They're trained on how to read that. And, and you can see there's space on this report on the right for a second EEG. That is once uh, people go through this brain care or wellness experience, we're able to take another EEG and see how it changes. And gotcha. also, you know, they're able to correlate how they're feeling with changes in these, these rhythms. And then the goal for you, if you were uh, someone who were to go through this, is trying to shift this activity off to the left of that peak and line it up more with that red line. Give you a few more pieces of information per second because the area I've highlighted is brain activity at 10 and a half, 11 and a half, 10 and a half or 11 times per second when we're saying you might more reliably be able to work a little faster. At least that, gotcha. that would be cool. Yeah. So uh, listeners, what, what Alex is, uh, is showing there on, on my readout, um, there's a little bump 
on the from the frontal lobe on, on the side of the peak kind of maybe starting to develop maybe yeah. and he was he's talking about you know with the therapy um smoothing that little bump out correct yeah that's right just just waking up that brain tissue that might be starting to say i want to take a little bit of a break because jeremy's uh, pushing me around a little bit <laughs> got you so what would be um other than those um you know kind of generic statements um on the on the um report and you know talking about smoothing out this bump what would be like the kind of uh, the diagnosis that you would say from this from this scan well once again no diagnosis but it, it looks like uh we have some of this this activity that uh might make it so that you know you're your reliable focus or uh, attention may be a little interfered with with uh, some of this slower activity, but you're set up in a way where you have this capacity for faster frequency, let's say, response. And the way you like to look at information is, you know, this this one from the analytical perspective, uh, which is great. Uh, just just know thyself. It's kind of important to be able to have that right, context right. and know that you need to push yourself maybe on the more multitasking side of the house, which is, you know. An opportunity for for further development for you. Um, if we had more profound, larger peaks off to the left, that's where we might be more significantly questioning things like working memory. Okay, so it basically we would like um, going through the therapy would basically be fine tuning things so that I could focus better, probably. Yeah, in a way. Yeah, that's a good okay. summary. Yeah. Really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Really interesting. So um, a lot of my listeners, uh, you know, I have um, a lot of uh, aging athletes. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, what would you say for for that community, for the aging athlete community? Well, just from a perspective of wellness, we need to protect our sleep. Health and exercise is important. Diet is, is important. Uh, sleep is probably one of the most important things that we we need to protect. Same goes for, for you, Jeremy. Uh, the, the way you're set up, just watch out on the insomnia side of us. But when it comes to sleep depth, um, our brain, it's like an engine that burns up a lot of, large amount of fuel, 30% of our entire AT, our energy budget during the day, and we recover when we're sleeping. You guys there? Yeah. I froze. You guys are frozen. Are we oh, there you go. Yeah, we're back. We we froze there for a little bit. Wait, wait, wait. I want to back up for a second. Um, um, Ned, I I sleep really, really well. I sleep like a rock. Um, yeah. and Ned said from the study he could tell that. But did you just say I have to? I should watch out for insomnia. Yeah, you have a very efficient brain. There's a lot of alpha activity, so that might mean you are able to stay up a little later and work on less sleep that usually is what that might tell us we're not saying that oh you okay stuff that signals you're not sleeping well but but yeah very efficient brains have to uh you know watch out for make sure they still get the same amount of sleep so oh i seriously sleep now. so hard good uh that and is i have this i have this weird uh ability to just turn off the switch too um like if I'm going to take a nap in the afternoon, I'm one of those people that I can lay down, I fall asleep immediately, and uh, eighteen minutes, almost exactly eighteen minutes later, every single time, boom, 
I'm, I'm awake. And I was in deep sleep. Well, I'm jealous. Cause I, <laughs> I need to gain that ability. <laughs> <laughs> Does that have anything to do with brain activity? Uh, certainly. And it high amount to do with, you know, how physically active you are throughout the day. There are many factors that play into it. Also on the fitness side of the house. Um, if you can get really deep sleep, your brain can recharge really well. And if you're not getting really great sleep over time, those rhythms can slow down a little bit sooner. So when it comes to your aging population, you know, we want to be able to protect that. We want to be able to maintain our cognitive clarity as long as possible. Um, and, and staying fit and, and, and well and, and active is important. Uh, and just making sure that sleep is intact is probably one of the biggest things you can do for your brain. Sleeping's the base. And um, is it, you know, accurate to say if anyone has any issues with sleeping, get a brain scan and see if that's the issue. Yeah, it can, uh, it can build up. I think of it like plaque on teeth. You know, if you have disrupted sleep for one day, you need one day of recovery of good sleep. If it's five days, it's five days of good sleep. If it's a year, you know, it's, it's one of these cumulative effects where your brain will say, I'm not going to work the same way I was uh, before I need to catch up on sleep, I'll slow down while I'm awake. And that might interfere with how well we folks. We definitely feel it, you know, sleep well, feel groggy the next day. But if that's your consistent state, it's going to be hard to bounce back. That's why sleep is so important. And Eric, you talk a lot about light and blue light specifically and exposure to it at certain times of the day and how important that is for our, for our, our sleep rhythms, right? Yeah, absolutely. This is, um, it was Nobel Prize winning work uh, from at least a few years back, but the discovery <clears throat> that natural sunlight, which is very rich in blue light, uh, is the biological cue to establish our circadian rhythm uh, is a really important discovery. And so, um, you know, we frequently talk about honoring our biology and our ancestors. We have to get outside and get natural blue light. And that is, um, sets forth this, um, uh, response where 14 to 16 hours later, uh, when we get fatigued, uh, we have to listen to that biological cue and, and go to sleep. So, um, so yeah, I, I think it's an important, uh, very easy lifestyle change that we can all do is just get outside for 30 minutes in the morning, whether it's having a bowl of cereal outside or taking the dog for a walk in the park. And then conversely, late at night, not too late, maybe around 9 or 10 o'clock, if you yawn and you're starting to feel fatigued and somnolent, um, you have about a 30 minute window with which to get into bed and that should set you up for a really restful night of sleep. And, you know, being off devices is an important part of that, right? Yes. Not getting that blue light at night. So people that like, you know, watch TV in bed to wind down, that might not be such a, a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's both a combination of if you're giving yourself blue light stimulation late at night, that sabotages uh, our biological mechanisms. Uh, but the other part of it is, you know, we were talking about Netflix earlier, much of the content that we watch can be very stimulating. And so if you're watching whatever it is, Game of Thrones or, or Breaking Bad, and you're kind of ramped up, you know, it's sometimes hard to wind down and go to sleep. And so, um, you know, we, we do many things uh, to undermine ourselves in terms of uh, preparing for, for a good night of sleep. I heard you say in one of your interviews, um, I, in, 
please correct, correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe I heard incorrectly. Uh, you threw out the number four to five hours of no blue light um, before going to bed. Is, is that, did I under, hear that correctly? Uh, I don't know if I specified an exact duration, but in general, we try to, we recommend uh, avoiding screen time um, uh, after sort of five or 6 p.m., uh, which I know is very difficult, but you know, as we you know leave business hours and go home to the degree possible, if we can avoid blue light, that's going to set us up for an optimal night's sleep. Many of these tablets, I mean, uh, these companies are very smart, um, and uh, you know whether it's your your phone, your tablet, or your laptop screen, uh, many times they automatically eliminate blue light. Um, sort of programmed to do that, or if it's not, you can yeah, you can also. Uh, acquire apps that will eliminate blue light uh, from the screen. It'll make the light look red. And some people probably, you have, maybe have this application of a red shift. And there are also glasses some may wear to filter out the blue light coming off their screens. And Jeremy, uh, outside, I apologize. We've got another Zoom we have to oh. take in about five minutes. Uh, we keep talking for hours. Yeah. I, thought it was I know. I have so many questions for you guys. I have so many <laughs> more. Actually, I have so many more questions, but yeah, I, I understand. Um, well, the purpose of my channel um, is to motivate people to get outside um, and take advantage of their bodies and, and exercise specifically. Those two things together, exercise outside. And th that's just scientific um, reason right there. You know, it, you know exposure to, to uh, sunlight uh, during the day to get your brain rhythms in sync it, right there um, is just there's science that backs that all up right there. And I love that. I really appreciate that, you guys. There, there's no compromise for uh, how powerful the sun is in comparison yeah. to um, there, there are happy lights prescribed to people who don't get enough sunlight. They sit in front of them uh, as, as part of a prescription to, to mm -hmm. help them with their uh, you know, depression and whatnot. But nothing better than being able to get sunlight. You know, don't stare at it, but uh, absorbed by our eyes. It's very powerful. All right. Well, I appreciate you guys taking the time with me. Um, I can't, I can't thank you enough and I can't thank you enough for what you guys are doing. <laughs> I was going to say for the community, but for the freaking world. Um, and, uh, you got, you guys are making a big difference. You've made a big difference in my life already. And, uh, I appreciate, I appreciate your brains. <laughs> so I uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Much appreciated. Thank you, Jerry. Right on. Thanks guys. Bye. Okay, thanks for listening, watching. Really appreciate both of you guys. <laughs> Just kidding. I appreciate all of you. Um, don't forget that this channel is sponsored by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Um, you can buy their stuff, their beer. Um, and they actually have a new product out um, that's non-alcoholic and I actually really like. Um, it's called their Hop Splash. Uh, I have um, a personal link um, down in the caption if you want to get some Hop Splash. Um, I really like it when... Um, okay, let's just say this. that I, I don't think I have a huge drinking problem, but um, I drink a beer or two almost every day and... Um, when I try to take a day off, uh, it's, it's, it's hard. I end up having a beer on the days that I clarify 
that I'm not going to drink this day. So, and then again, I'm a, I'm a one or two beer guy. So it's not like I'm like getting wasted every day or anything, but I'm, I like to go a couple days a week without a beer. Um, and the hop splash has helped me with that. Um, I have a hop splash. I get that hop flavor. It doesn't taste like beer. It, it tastes like, um, kind of a mild, like not so sweet, uh, lemon lime soda. It's lemon lime flavor. Um, but with hops, which is, you know, what beer is made out of. Uh, and so, um, or made with, so you kind of get that hop flavor. It's out of a can. So I'm kind of feeling, I kind of feel like I'm having a beer sort of, um, and that has helped me. I've been able to take days off from having beers, having a hop splash. It's also really good if you've got a friend uh, who's not drinking, um, hanging out, you can give one to them, then they don't feel all awkward <laughs> and then therefore make you feel awkward. I also like it for um, like a hydration beverage between beers. Um, so, you know, I might not feel like I'm ready for another beer yet, but I want to have something in my hand. Um, and it's good for that. Cause it's not this like stark difference where it's like something completely different that you're drinking. Um, you can also, um, have it in the morning or earlier in the day. Um, I like it for that. So, you know, I've been working at my desk and maybe it's a little early for a beer, but I'm kind of feeling that vibe. I'll grab a hot splash and um, edit some videos with that and um, not having alcohol. So that's pretty good. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, you can buy their stuff and um, feel good about it because they support your boy. Um, don't forget to subscribe and all that good stuff. Please leave me comments. Um, it really, really helps me. It if you got any value or if you have any um, input or um, constructive criticism, I do take constructive criticism. Well, as long as it's positive and for a good reason, um, be sensitive, please <laughs> be kind to me, um, cause I am sensitive. And, um, if it's, if your intention is to help me out, you have some, you know, you, you have some clear direction for me that would really help with production stuff or something you want to see. That's that stuff helps really well. But anyways, I appreciate you guys. I've kept you long enough. Um, I've hope you enjoy, I hope you enjoyed this. I promise you, I will be getting better and, um, more consistent. Okay. Now it's time. Put that phone down and go get your hug from mother nature. Love ya.